Hello and welcome to the Feck It Fun, Fabulous and Free Eating Disorder Recovery Podcast. I'm Helly and I'm here to provide regular bursts of information and inspiration, some neuroscience applicable to eating disorder recovery, perhaps a few rants, but otherwise lots of positivity with a bit of a Feck It attitude, some fun and a sprinkling of fabulousness to help everyone find freedom in recovery. Hello, 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 and welcome to this episode of the Feck It Fun, Fabulous and Free Eating Disorder Recovery Podcast. As most of you probably know by now, I'm Helly and I talk about eating disorders and how to overcome them and bash them out of your life so that you have freedom, you have joy, you have fun, you have laughter. Remember laughter? I know, it's probably been a while if you have an eating disorder, but genuine laughter can be yours again, and fun, and joy, and fabulousness. So without further ado, without me gibbering jabbering on about nonsense for too long. Let's just get into this episode, shall we? Because it's probably going to be another slightly longer episode, and I hope that it's one that you find interesting and fascinating, because it's about the Minnesota starvation experiment, and that's a topic that I do find very, very interesting. And I think it really relates well to eating disorders, and it's something that everybody with an eating disorder needs to know about. So the last episode that I released last week was an introduction to the Minnesota starvation experiment and I talked about what the experiment was, what it involved and some of the very key findings from it. I did say last week and I will say again this week that there is so much information about the Minnesota starvation experiment and there are books that are hundreds of pages long about the experiment and the results from it. And so, of course, in just two or three podcast episodes, I can't cover all that information. And I'm just picking out the very key points that I think are very important to know about. But obviously, if you do want to know more about the experiment and the findings from it, then there is all that information out there for you to go and dig into if that is your thing. Today's episode then is about relating the Minnesota starvation experiment and the findings from it to restrictive eating disorders. So as I said last week, the Minnesota starvation experiment was a research experiment carried out during the Second World War. And even today, nearly 80 years after the experiment was conducted, it still provides us with the best research evidence we have about the effects of semi-starvation and refeeding on a person not just physically, but also mentally, behaviorally, and emotionally. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about how the findings of the study relate to what it's like to have and overcome semi-starvation resulting from a restrictive eating disorder, and considering where the similarities are, as well as the differences. And I'm going to do one final episode on the Minnesota starvation experiment as well, which hopefully will come out next week, which is about what the starvation experiment teaches us about starvation syndrome and what of the commonly seen symptoms in someone with a restrictive eating disorder might just be down to starvation syndrome alone and what are actually more related to the eating disorder itself. So that episode is coming out hopefully next week if I'm organised and I get it done and I publish it on time. So who knows what could happen, but let's hope. And just to say as well that the information for these episodes is also taken from my book, 
which is called Addicted to Energy Deficit. And that's a book about all the science and neuroscience behind restrictive eating disorders, behind my theory to eating disorders being an addiction to the state of energy deficit. And so if you do want more information about the Minnesota Starvation Experiment or about restrictive eating disorders in general, then please pick up a copy of the book, which you can do so from most online book retailers around the world. Let's get on with it then, and relating the Minnesota Starvation Experiment to restrictive eating disorders. So the findings of the Minnesota Starvation Experiment provide a clear indication of what physical symptoms, behaviours, social and psychological signs, and weight changes are common to someone in a semi-starved state, and what to expect once free eating resumes. And this information is also critical in informing us about some of the commonly seen signs and symptoms in restrictive eating disorders, because it helps us to identify which symptoms people commonly experience might be related purely to the body being in a semi-starved state and what's related to the eating disorder itself, as I said before. And the experiment also gives us information about what's to be expected in the process of overcoming a restrictive eating disorder, in relation to eating more and gaining weight, including potential timeframes for physical restoration. So an initial critical point to note is that the men in the Minnesota starvation experiment were semi-starved for six months. And what I mean by that is they were semi-starved for just six months. In only six months, These men experienced all the physical, psychological, behavioural and emotional difficulties that were described in the first episode last week. So compare this to someone with an eating disorder who has usually been restricting their intake and living in a semi-starved state for so much longer than six months. But just as these men reported a return to full health and normal lives after their return to free eating so too do people who have restricted eating disorders and who have had restrictive eating disorders for any length of time. So there is hope, and even if you've had that restrictive eating disorder for not just six months, but for six years, for 16 years, for 30 years, there is still so much hope that you can return to a full health and normal life beyond this. One of the key study findings in relation to the effect starvation had on the men that differs significantly to people with eating disorders relates to their physical energy levels. The study findings reported that the men all became very, very lethargic. They lost their strength and became slower in their movements. None of the men who took part in the study were reported to experience any sense of hyperactivity as part of the starvation effects. But in people with restrictive eating disorders, hyperactivity is often, in 99.9% of cases, a very key feature, where many people with eating disorders actually feel more energised and hyperactive when they're in a state of energy deficit. So that indicates to us that the hyperactivity and false sense of energy seen in people with restrictive eating disorders is a more unique symptom of an eating disorder, and it's not a normal response to hunger or starvation. And that's where the evolutionary 
and genetic theories for eating disorders are beneficial because they can then help to explain these little anomalies between what someone with an eating disorder will experience from being starved versus somebody who doesn't have that genetic evolutionary response to semi-starvation. And I've done an episode a few weeks or even a couple of months ago now on the evolutionary theory to restrictive eating disorders. So please go back and have a listen to that if you haven't already. And I'm going to do an episode as well about the genetic theory and the genetic evidence there is now to eating disorders in the coming weeks. So please keep an eye out for that one because it's so fascinating and it's so relevant if you do have an eating disorder. But in the meantime, it is all available in my book, Addicted to Energy Deficit, if you want that information right now. The next thing to say then is that the Minnesota study results clearly demonstrated that semi-starvation can result in binge eating. And when I say binge eating, I mean eating in which the men reported a loss of control over what or how much they ate. And binge eating has also been seen and reported in prisoners of war upon having access to food again. So people with binge eating as part of their restrictive eating disorder are experiencing a very normal physiological reaction of the body to hunger and starvation. None of the men had eating disorders and their binges stopped after a few weeks or months of being able to eat freely again and restoring their body to energy balance. And the same thing happens when people allow themselves to restore their body from energy deficit when they're overcoming an eating disorder. Of the men who didn't experience true binge eating, by which I mean loss of control over their eating, the majority were still observed to eat high amounts when they could after the semi-starvation period ended. And in the first weeks, intake was estimated for some to be around 11,000 calories a day. And some of the men were still eating high amounts eight months after the study ended. With one man even reporting that it took three years for his hunger and eating patterns to return to what he considered a more normal level. So knowing all that, understanding that Eating huge amounts of food is a very normal response when you're coming out of a state of semi-starvation and energy deficit. And eating upwards of 10,000 calories a day is normal for a body that needs a lot of food because it's trying to get itself out of a starved state. So just being forgiving of yourself, if you like, not judging yourself if you do want to eat those huge amounts of food and you do eat those huge amounts of food. This is you now responding to what your body needs and it is the right thing to do. And just be reassured that that hunger won't stay that high forever. It might stay that high for quite some considerable time, but eventually if you go with it and you trust your hunger, your eating patterns will return to a normal level, just as the men in the Minnesota study found for themselves. And when we think about physical restoration and weight gain, the men reported that on average they felt that it took around two years for them to feel physically back to where they'd been when they entered the experiment. And that just demonstrates that even with good food intake over a lengthy time, the body takes time to fully repair and heal 
from any period of semi-starvation. And the men also reported that they gained an excess of fat in the initial weight restoration phase to their fat levels before the experiment. So in the study, the men were found to initially regain on average 10 to 14% more weight than they were at their control weight range. And we can consider their control weight range to be their genetic set point weight. Many of the men also expressed concern at the gains of fat around their midsection, thighs and buttocks during the restoration phase of the experiment. And all of this is a clear demonstration of what we today consider the overshoot phenomenon. The body needs to initially regain more fat stores in order to carry out the full non-fat mass tissue restoration and repairs that it desperately needs to do. But it needs that initial fat in order to feel safe enough to do all of the repairs that are needed. And once it's had the opportunity to do all the restoration repairs, everything it needs to do internally, then any ongoing excess weight is naturally lost. And the science to overshoot is something that I'm also going to talk about in much more detail in a future episode. So again, hold on for that one, or again, it's all in the book already. Today, we know that people can be semi-starved and malnourished at any weight or shape if they have lost weight below their genetic set weight range. And I've spoken about this in a previous episode, about the fact you can have a restrictive eating disorder, you can have anorexia, even in a bigger body, even in a body that might be considered overweight by BMI chart. You can be semi-starved and malnourished in what might be considered an overweight body by BMI chart. If you have a restrictive eating disorder, but you're not at the low end of the BMI spectrum, then you might be wondering why the men in this study all reached a weight that would be considered underweight by BMI chart. Well, the explanation for this as I see it is that all the men selected for the study were of genetically small builds already. The average BMI of the men before the study started was 21.9 which even for young healthy men is very low. Even the man with the highest genetic weight at the start only had a BMI of 25.4. And then they each lost an average 25% of their starting weight during the experiment, which meant that their weight did drop to the lower end of the BMI spectrum. But the effects of semi-starvation are the same, whether you reach a low BMI or you are still in the normal BMI range after weight loss. And the information from this study applies equally to those with a restrictive eating disorder in a bigger body as it does to those in smaller ones. And just to say as well, something that I found interesting was the men in the study who did have slightly higher natural set weights did also remain at higher weights as they lost weight. And that was something that Keyes, who was the lead researcher of the study, became quite upset and frustrated about because he felt they weren't losing enough weight during the experiment. And as a result of that, these men had the most significant cuts in their intake. And the symptoms these men in the higher weight range experienced from semi-starvation were as significant, if not more so, than those who did reach that lower range of the BMI spectrum. 
Another very noteworthy point from the study is that the men reported that the most challenging time was during the initial rehabilitation phase when they had their calories increased but still restricted. So if you can remember back, at the initial rehabilitation phase, the men were put into four different groups and they were they had their intake increased each day by an additional 400, 800, 1200 or 1600 calories a day, depending on which group they were put into. But even at that time, irrespective of which group they were put into, the men still found this phase where their intake was increased but still restricted very, very difficult. And the men reported that this was incredibly hard because their hunger remained so high despite now being given more food. And I think there's a comparison to make here to the use of meal plans for people overcoming eating disorders. When using a meal plan, it can be hard to ensure that the amounts given on the plan will meet the deep hunger present. So for people on a plan who are not getting enough food, just like the men in the study, it can be a very distressing experience. It might be that more food is now being consumed, but if it's not enough to meet the hunger, it's still so distressing and so restricted and horrible to have to sit with that urge to want more food but not being able to eat it. So this is again where meal plans need to be used with care to ensure that they are never restrictive to someone who is experiencing confusing deep levels of hunger, which are only then more distressing while in the process of emerging from a semi-starved state and trying to overcome a restrictive eating disorder. It has to be said though, that the men in the starvation study didn't have restrictive eating disorders. They didn't develop an addiction to the energy deficit state that was caused by the semi-starvation, most likely due to the fact that they didn't, luckily, have a genetic predisposition to develop an eating disorder. For them, a state of negative energy was intensely uncomfortable from the beginning, and they were desperate to eat again and return their body to a state of energy balance. This is very different for someone with an eating disorder who develops positive reinforcement from their addicted brain as a result of energy deficit, who develops a sense of reward from restrictive eating, from weight loss, from exercising and from purging behaviours. The men in the study didn't experience that eating disordered sense of wanting to stay in that energy deprived state and getting a sense of reward from it. And because of that, by the time someone with an eating disorder seeks support and wants to overcome it, they've usually also had the eating disorder with the associated restrictive eating and behaviours for a lot longer than the six months the men endured. And as a result of that, the brain circuitry that drives these habits and behaviours has had a significant amount of time to become more deeply embedded and reinforced than anything the men experienced. In conclusion then for this episode, the Minnesota starvation experiment is incredibly important and understanding its findings should help you understand some of the symptoms you experienced that can be related to being in a semi-starved state. The findings should also reassure you 
that high hunger, eating beyond physical fullness, binges and potentially gaining more weight in the restoration phase than your genetic set weight range is all absolutely normal and these are necessary physiological reactions. The men in the Minnesota starvation experiment went through a very real and hard process during this experiment and it did change their lives. It did change how they chose to live their life and give back to the world in their future. Perhaps if you have a restrictive eating disorder and you too know how hard hunger can be, then like me, you feel a deep-seated empathy and gratitude to these men who did starve so that still today, we can have this much greater understanding and insight into just what impact being malnourished and semi-starved alone can have on a person. And that's even before you throw a restrictive eating disorder into the mix. These men went through quite an ordeal, but it's because these men went through that that we have this understanding today that can also give us hopefully that sense of reassurance that what's happening with a restrictive eating disorder, what's happening when you're so hungry, And what's happening when you want to eat and eat and eat and eat is all just a normal response. This scientific experiment these men went through, it gives us proof that extreme hunger is real, that binges as a result of restriction are real and normal, that overshoot is normal and necessary. We have so much to be grateful for to this experiment because It really does show us so much and allow us to trust that the process to overcome a restrictive eating disorder, to get ourselves out of semi-starvation, is necessary. The body needs what it needs. The hunger will only last as long as it needs to at the extreme levels that it goes to. So in the final part of this series on the Minnesota starvation experiment, the effects of starvation that were clearly identified by the experiment are something I'm going to discuss in more detail and how they compare to you with a restrictive eating disorder. So, as I said, hopefully that will be out next week. In the meantime, use the information from this study to reassure yourself that what you are experiencing is real. The signs of starvation for you are real. And when you do want to eat everything and more, don't judge yourself for that. Don't start talking to yourself negatively and telling yourself that you're being greedy and disgusting and that you're going into some sort of overeating eating disorder. Don't listen to the bullshit thoughts that your head is giving you about that. Remind yourself, you are semi-starved. No matter what weight you are now, you are still overcoming a very restrictive eating disorder. Your body needs what it needs and it is asking you for that. It's time to trust and listen to your body. Give it what it needs. Give yourself what you need. Stop fighting your biology. And just eat. Rest. Let yourself give in to everything that you know deep down you want to be able to give in to. It is safe now for you to eat. It is safe now for you to gain weight. And it's safe now for you to rest and let yourself heal. So please, please, let yourself heal. It will be worth it. I'm Helly. If you want to find out more about me, I'm on hellybarns.com. And otherwise, I'll speak to you next week. 
Thank you for listening to the Feck It Fun Fabulous and Free Eating Disorder Recovery Podcast. Don't forget, eating disorder recovery doesn't have to be boring and doesn't have to be serious. Now go and grab yourself some food and have a fabulous rest of the day.